Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, we continue uh, in the pandemic edition, which means uh, I'm at one studio, you're at your home studio. But welcome back to Rick and Bubba University, Professor Bussey. You know, Rick, glad to be here and glad the technology exists that we can do this and we can still take the podcast and delve into the issues that we're facing today with, uh, with folks and, and do it in this great format of a podcast. Well, today we're going to go to one of the places where some very difficult decisions have already had to be made, and there's more difficult decisions ahead for our country. Uh, uh, Congressman Gary, Con- uh, uh, Congressman Gary Palmer, sorry, from Alabama's <laughs> 6th District. Uh, of course, that uh, uh, Gary has been a friend of the show for a very long time. Uh, joined the 114th Congress back in uh, 2014, uh, and has been reelected and is continuing to serve the state of Alabama. So, Congressman Gary Palmer, welcome to Rick and Bubba University. Well, thanks for having me on. This, I believe, this is the first time I've been on. Uh, the university with the faculty. Yep. Yeah, first time, <laughs> Professor Palmer. Uh, you know, we, we try to hand out degrees in common sense, but boy, when you're sitting here in in the in twenty twenty, who would have ever thought that twenty twenty would be a historic year? We thought it was just about the presidential election that is coming up and of course the elections this year, but we ran into something that is a little bigger even than that, uh, and that is the pandemic of twenty twenty that uh, is historical. Uh, you guys have had to make some difficult decisions. You know, it was, it was interesting, Gary, because I remember when you, who had never, uh, you know, been a politician before, you had worked a lot with, you know, doing policy in our state of Alabama, being a think tank uh, with the Alabama Policy Institute. But, uh, you know, you've been working in the private sector, and, and we know the story about how you became a congressman. And it's interesting to remember one of the things that you wanted to, to get done and you were trying to educate people on is we got to pay down the national debt and we got to cut spending. And now here we are in a pandemic that has demanded incredible spending. Yeah, it's um, the long-term harm, I think, could be very severe. Uh, One of the things that I've tried to uh, talk to people about is that we're always going to have debt as a nation. We're not going to be a zero debt nation but that that debt needs to be somewhere in the range of 50% of our debt to GDP. Uh, I think by the end of the year, we could very well be at 125% debt to GDP. And uh, that's gonna make it very, very difficult going forward to get that down into an acceptable range. And um, you know, if something were to happen on the interest rate side, we would get to a point where just the interest on the debt would be the biggest item uh, in our budget every year. Congressman, we really want to talk coronavirus, but but since you have brought that part up. Well, actually, Rick brought it up. Well, <laughs> since Rick brought that up, let hey, me clarify I'm actually that. really concerned about it. Since you addressed it, uh, talk a little bit about who we actually owe that to. I think there's a big misconception yeah. that we owe all of that to China and we can just tell them uh, tough beans. We're not going to pay, but they, they're only a small percentage of it, right? Isn't foreign debt, maybe 25% round figures. Yeah. Most of the debt is owed to the American public. And a lot of it is intergovernmental debt, which is kind of a technical issue. Uh, so it's, it's not like that we owe 20 billion, uh, $20 trillion to another country. We owe China somewhere between one and two trillion. We owe 
Japan. Japan may be our biggest debt holder. Uh, uh, Japan and China would be right there together. But uh, the point that I try to make to people, and when I first got to Congress, I wanted to be on the budget committee. Uh, a lot of people thought I was a sucker for punishment, but <laughs> getting on the budget committee was a, a natural for me, having run a think tank and worked in engineering. I'm a numbers guy. But I also understood that that's how you find out where everything is. And, and being on there for four years, um, I pretty well determined that we could get ourselves out of this if we, uh, there's some things that we could do um, right up front that would help us get there. And I, I think you guys have talked about one of these ideas before, and that is a, a, a consumption tax, the fair tax. And I bring that up because if you were to go to the IRS and ask them how much we failed to collect last year that was owed the federal government, it's probably over 450 billion, maybe close to $500 billion. And we do everything in 10 year windows. So that means that somewhere between four and a half and $5 trillion went uncollected in taxes. And when you consider that we've been operating at a deficit, that's four and a half to $5 trillion we would not have had to borrow. And then we send out another probably 160, 170 billion per year in improper payments. And again, in the 10 year window, you're talking 1.6 to 1.7 trillion dollars that we would not have had to borrow. That, that right there is, you know, between six and $7 trillion that, that uh, we, could, we could stop the bleeding if, if we would, uh, if we were willing to take that action. Well, and we know, uh, Congressman, we've talked about this a lot, and you know it, and, and certainly we've known you for a long time. It's almost, there's, there's politicians that do not want the tax system to be simplified. You know, Bubba and I were big on the flat tax, but we know that that is a pie-in-the-sky hope. But the national sales tax may be something that's hopeful. But the bottom line, both of these things, to your point, what I think the left certainly doesn't understand is these things would actually get us more tax revenues because you couldn't you wouldn't be politicizing taxes you would be collecting all taxes but then the consumers would have less of a tax burden but the coffers would actually have more tax dollars now that makes all the sense in the world to professor burgess and bussy but uh, the left doesn't seem to understand that which i can only conclude means they like it being politicized and they like it being complicated well, you got to keep in mind that a lot of the people on the left are bad at math and bad at life, and and they they just they're never going to get it. They have an agenda that is uh, counter to uh, most everything that you and I believe, particularly when it comes to freedom. And uh, and people want to see what the country would look like under uh, a leftist government. Just look at Michigan and some of these other places and what's going on there. But again. You know, I, I hit a couple of items there. We collected over 530 billion in, in fees and and um, court awards and things like that. That doesn't even go to the treasury. Doesn't show up in the treasury. Um, the General Accountability Office estimates that there's somewhere close to a trillion dollars in unobligated funds sitting in agency accounts. Not all of that money is truly unobligated, but my point is, is that we could put ourselves in a position where we could get our, our debt to a manageable amount. Uh, 
it would unleash further unleash the economy. When the government borrows money, that puts the government in competition with the private sector and it increases the cost of money. Uh, even uh, right now, interest rates are really low, but that's not going to be the case uh, permanently. So I, I'm very, you know, to go back to your very first point, uh, Professor Burgess, uh, I'm very concerned about how this is setting us up for the future yes. with, with the amount of money we're having to spend right now. Congressman, uh, let's let's move to the virus itself. Uh, last time we spoke, we I had shared with you that uh, we we had on pretty good resource uh, or pretty good knowledge of the situation that maybe this thing came from a lab. Um, I know that uh, that you had information that said no, it's it's natural. Uh, the lab story keeps coming back, whether it was on purpose or accidental. What what is the latest on that? Uh, do we know any more than we knew before? Well, um, what you're hearing in the, the public uh, domain um, about the lab is there's we're still working on this. And I, I think there is a, a chance that it came from the lab. But but there are other scientists out there that, that say because of the way it was uh, transmitted that that they just if it did come from a lab, it was uh, not very well constructed. So um, I think we'll find out more in the days ahead. Uh, the, the main thing that the American people need to know is that this is a problem with China. Uh, uh, China knew about this much, much earlier than has been reported. We think that the first patient with first individual with this disease may have been a 55 year old male and, uh, and showed up in the middle of November. Uh, they kept this quiet until uh, one of the doctors in China leaked it out on New Year's Eve. Right. And it has caused immeasurable harm, not only to the United States, but worldwide. And I, I think China should be held accountable um, for this. Let's, do uh, you go ahead? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go buddy. ahead, Rick. Well, ahead. if you if you want to finish that point, because I'm going to move into kind of where we are now, and you know the the response we had, you know we did the best we could, and now we're approaching you know that that moment where we we have to look at the other patient, and that's you know the United States of America as a nation. Uh, that patient is is over in ICU as well, uh, and we're about to have some difficult decisions about measuring you know human life. Uh, versus human life. It is lives versus lives. I know the left wants to go, oh, this is money and this is stock market versus people's lives. No, it's not. It's lives versus lives uh, because there's people uh, to the tune of almost 17 million right now that have lost their jobs. Uh, there's businesses that cannot recover even now, and there's going to be others that can't recover if we continue. So there's there's difficult decisions that are in front of the Congress and, and in front of our president and the administration about our economy. And we, we have to face that issue and do something. Well, I talked with Congressman Jim Jordan uh, yesterday and Jim and I are the opinion that Congress needs to go back to work in Washington. Now that doesn't mean we're not working. I'm, uh, I'm worn out at the end of the day trying to, answer questions and help people. But you've got Nancy Pelosi uh, bunkered in her 
mansion out in San Francisco eating $12 a pint ice cream, uh, totally oblivious to what it's like for the average American. And Rick, you're absolutely right. There are businesses that have closed that will never open again. Right. Uh, a lot of these small businesses, uh, when people look at, at the worth of a business, that's in, in the value of buildings and, and equipment and things like that. These businesses, a lot of them have very tight cash flows. Uh, these are income businesses, not wealth businesses. Right. And a lot of those are not coming back. And there are a whole lot more we're going to lose if we don't open the country back up. Uh, I think we're, I think the president's going to make an announcement today or tomorrow about a path forward. I've been working with businesses uh, all across all the sectors of the economy on, on their best practices for getting back to work, but we've got to do this. And I, I sometimes wonder if, if Pelosi and the Democrats don't have another agenda to further make Americans more dependent on the government. Yep. And I point out about the healthcare system, this whole thing, when we started this guys, and, and we talked about this, that the objective of, of the shutdown was to keep our healthcare system from a complete collapse like happened in Italy. Right. And, and I think I understood that, but now we know more about the virus and we're seeing that, that we're not going to have our healthcare system collapse. We need to move back now and allow people to get back to work because one of the things that, that really concerns me about this is our healthcare system is a market system. It's part of our economy, but at the rate we're going, if we destroy the economy, it won't support our healthcare system and we'll wind up with a government run healthcare system. Mm. Well, if we don't get back to work, we're going to run into a government run everything. I think, uh, Congressman, uh, down that line, and maybe this is an unfair question because we don't have enough facts yet on it. The, the total shutdown, we had models that looked like it was going to be 2 million people die. Um, our social distancing and all of that. The cost of that is yet to be determined when all said and done, but it's made a difference. It looks like on paper uh, that we've brought the number of deaths down. I think we're, uh, you know, right at what, uh, about 30,000 now. Um, 28, 28, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, every life is important. Sure. Uh, but um, was a total shutdown the right thing? Will we do this again in the future if this happens? Or generations from now, will they look at what we did and go, that was the right response or there was a better one? What do you think? I mean, do you have a feel for that? Well, I'm beginning to think that um, we've gone far enough. I think the shutdown on the front end was justified, again, because we saw what was happening in Italy. And I think it would have been irresponsible on the part of the government not to take some fairly, some very aggressive action to prevent that. But, but going forward, I think every day you've got to evaluate the data. And one of the interesting things earlier uh, on this, uh, in this discussion, I talked about the fact that we think that first uh, infected patient showed up in China in the middle of November. So if you consider that there were tens of thousands of Chinese that visited the United States from November, December, January, until the president ended all of the travel between China and the U.S. The infection rates and the hospitalization rates should be much, much higher uh, based on what the models projected, but they're not. 
And I think we've also, I was listening to uh, Dr. Uh, Oz this morning, the, the fact that, that we're at, we've only tested about 2 million people. We've got somewhere close to 500, over 500,000 that have tested positive, 28,000 deaths. If this thing had been as bad as, as everybody thought it was on the front end, those numbers should be much, much higher. They should be more in tune with what the models projected, but they're not. So it's becoming more and more apparent that, that either this thing is not as contagious as we thought it was, or a lot of people got it, didn't even know they had it, and, and we've, we've developed a certain amount of herd uh, immunity that's come about. Uh, as we go along, I think that's what we're going to find. Uh, because uh, we're just not seeing the numbers that we thought we would see. And, and a lot of the medical professionals want to take full credit for the, the mitigation efforts, and, and maybe that's what it is. But I think what we're going to find out is that we will be able to go back to work. We're going to have some lifestyle changes. And the key, I, I think, for this is the availability of the test. And there's different types of tests that they're coming up with it seems almost daily now that that you could test your stuff at home that's going to be the key for us getting back to normal yeah well in and bub and i've talked about this on the show because i think what you just said is correct because we certainly needed to shut everything down the travel ban uh, i know the opponents will never you know they they were they were completely against our president on the travel ban and now that the travel ban obviously has turned into a good move they've acted like they never said that uh, uh, but but the politics of it, we almost well, have to. Ignore. He had a little video to remind him. Right? Yeah, he did. But yeah. but the politics of all this, you almost have to ignore because you can't change it. And then you just have to go and do what you think is right anyway. Just like we know, Congressman, we know that when we go back to work, whatever day that is or however we approach it, the first person that dies after we call it whatever we call it and we crank the economy back up, that, that death and everyone after that will be laid at the president's feet, and it'll be laid at the any, anybody who was for the start back. And I agree with you. We have to be able to withstand that. I think President Trump seems to be the kind of president that, that, that understands that and can live with it because you also have to listen to the folks who support what we're doing, like you know some of the business people now that are getting ready to defy uh, their states, what they think is an overreach by the government. And now that we are figuring out a lot about the virus, it's certainly very serious. Uh, we certainly understand that. But I think when you look at grocery stores and hardware stores, which we deemed essential, if the if the virus was as contagious as we were led to believe in the beginning, those places should be producing a lot of sick people, and they aren't. Uh, they are producing some, but but not near the rate, to your point, that we were – hoping would not be right it turns out let's be thankful it may not be uh so th we were doing mitigating there uh on essential places and if that's working but wouldn't that work a lot of places which means there's a large portion of our economy that a lot of us and and i think i hear in your voice don't let me put words in your mouth you can correct me if i'm wrong that there's a lot of the economy right now that is unnecessarily shut down and, uh, and we're starting to get in, and I know that you love the Constitution, you're a scholar of the Constitution, you're, you're going to have American citizens, it's happening now, starting to say, I'm not sure constitutionally the government on the federal level and the state level have the authority to, to make some of the decisions they're making. So, so your response to those things. Well, first of all, 
we fought a world war to keep the country from being a nation in which the government controlled every aspect of our lives. We spent trillions winning the Cold War against uh, a, uh, an oppressive regime running the world. Uh, we're not about to let a virus take away our constitutional freedoms. And, and, and to your point about the, that at some point people are gonna die, if you look at the people, the majority of the people who've died from uh, the coronavirus, these are people who had comorbidities and they had complicating health issues, uh, pre-existing conditions that, that they may very well have died from that, but they also had coronavirus. Sure. And I, that's one of the things I've got one of my policy uh, guys working on is to try to get that data. And, and, and I mentioned this earlier, I think when we really do the deep dive into the data and, and look at, at all this stuff, we're going to find out, uh, I think, that this, this affected uh, a, a particular group of people who, who were more prone to, to uh, a bad outcome than, than other folks. And that when we, we get into that, we'll realize that we can go back to work and not be scared to death. I mean, CNN put out something that said we couldn't have uh, sporting events until 2022. I was asked about that in an interview a couple of days ago. And they said, what do you think about uh, uh, CNN saying you can't go to a sports event until 2022? And my response was, I think what people ought to do in regard to CNN is not watch them until 2022. And if they're still around, <laughs> turn them off. <laughs> there, there, there is an agenda here. Yeah that I think in the long term uh, may be more dangerous to the country than the virus if, if we let this continue. That said, I have a very high regard for the healthcare people. I've been early on, it was almost every day talking to one of the frontline doctors about this. And I mean, they were putting everything on the line uh, fighting against this. And, and uh, I, I think they've done a fantastic job, but they also understand that the long-term well-being of the country depends on us getting back to normal as quickly as we can and figuring out, figuring out a way for us to, to, to get back to living our lives. What do you, what do you think about the idea the president is talking about that we look to the parts of the country that seem to be the easiest to start back, meaning it, it is a fact that there's, he's using the word 29, 29, 30 states that this is, um, it's it's a non-factor. It's a non-factor, and and the way they're set up, you know, we start with saying you guys start your communities back. Now there's going to be some battles on the on the state level then, because some of these governors, as you said, they undoubtedly have been looking forward to making themselves kings over their states, and they're trying to do it. And you saw in Michigan, they're getting pushback from the people, which is good. Uh, but we want everything to be orderly, but the people, you know, need to always be willing to push back against an overreaching federal government. Our founding fathers warned us and warned us clearly, do not give them the power because they can't handle it. Speaking of the government, you, you, we want to limit them because if you don't, they cannot be responsible with, with, with power they're not supposed to have. So go ahead. I don't think any of us ever thought we'd see the day when, uh, cars were being stopped at the state line and basically, um, for lack of a better way to express it, show me your papers. Yep. You know, do you, are you really from this state or we're not letting you in? Uh, but 
and to regard to your question about the economy, I'm not crazy about the idea of saying certain states will be able to open and others won't because our economy is so interrelated, okay. so complex. Take the automotive industry, for instance. Uh, we're making Honda uh, pilots and Ridgeline trucks. We're making the SUVs for Mercedes. We're making cars for Hyundai, uh, Toyota, and Mazda have a facility up in North Alabama. They depend on on a, a, a network of suppliers that are nationwide and international. And for instance, if that, gov- that uh, governor of Michigan decides not to open the state of Michigan, allow them to go back to work, there'll be parts that they need at some of these plants in Alabama that won't be available. So they can't make cars. Mm. Uh, you, you know, they're not going to roll vehicles off, off the assembly line that are missing parts. Uh, so I think what we need to do, and, and I'm going to uh, push this information up, up the line to the white house and, 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 and to the leadership on our side that we need to look at this, uh, by different segments of, of the um, economy because certain industries, if you're going to open them up, have got to open up everywhere. And I think when you're talking about manufacturing and, and some of these things that are so interrelated and so interconnected that you can do that regardless of, of what's going on in the rest of the state, uh, they can have a safe and healthy workplace for their people to be able to come back to work. Congressman, but how, Let me ask you, how do you do that though? If Detroit is still a, considered a hot zone where they're still having a lot of infection there, but say in Alabama, you're having little to none. I mean, how do you, how do you differentiate that even though they're in the same industry as opposed to geographical? And I understand the problem you're talking about too, but how do you, how do you do it the other way? Well, I think what, what you do is again, I, I talked about this earlier about um, how testing is going to be the game changer. Abbott Labs has come out with a test that will give you a result in 15 minutes. Uh, Rutgers University has a saliva-based test that will, will uh, give you a quick result. Uh, this uh, antibody uh, uh, testing that they're doing where you prick your finger and, and you can see if you have the antibodies. All of that's going to allow us to know whether or not somebody is able to go back to work. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're symptomatic, obviously you don't go to work if you're running a fever. I think... Uh, at least for a, a period of time, people will go back to work and they'll wear masks. But I, I think when you start looking at, at the people who, who are getting the, uh, infected by the, the virus, uh, there are people who are working in certain industries that I think will be able to go back to work. Uh, and, if, and if they are symptomatic, then they stay off until they get through it and, 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 and uh, there's, they don't have the symptoms or or the test shows that, that uh, uh, they don't have the virus. But Bubba, we won't be able to open this economy up the way we need to unless we open it up all over. And there'll be certain uh, type businesses that can't open uh, or, or that their openings will, will, will be much tougher like the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. But for us to get back to making things and, and, and uh, getting people back, uh, earning an income, I, I think it's going to be really hard to try to do it state by state. And that really brings up the next question I was going to ask you, Trump versus the governors. We've seen this week a little bit of a standoff between 
who has the authority to restart everything? Um, is Trump overstepping his presidential authority um, in normal times? Or is the fact that we're in an emergency declaration and the defense uh, appropriation or whatever, the defense manufacturing uh, clause has been kicked in? I mean, does that change everything? Or how, how does this actually work out, Congress? Well, we've had cases in the past where presidents basically suspended the Constitution, suspended habeas corpus. It happened yeah. with Lincoln. Yeah, we, and he's got a statue now in D.C., a pretty big one. Yeah, and also had a tough night at the theater, so you have to remember that. Yeah. Sometimes the people don't like it. Yeah, uh, uh, and you had it with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, um, you know, with the internment of the Japanese citizens. There's, we've seen examples of this, and I'm not saying that any of that was right. I don't think, I think the president misspoke. I don't, I really, having worked with him, I, I really don't think that uh, it came out the way he, he meant for it to come out. But I do think there's some issues that we, we would have to address about what, what the federal role is in regard to the economy, because we do have authority over interstate commerce. And it goes back to what I was talking about. Uh, using the automobile industry as an example, that is an example of interstate commerce. Right. Uh, I do think the governors, though, have uh, sovereign rights that, that they can exercise. But um, well, tell me this, too, Congressman. I mean, yes, the governors are in charge. OK. And, and you know, when the, the British signed a peace treaty, they created 13 independent states. Those states came together to form the United States and gave up some of their rights for a, an umbrella over the top of it. But um, I just, I'm trying to, we've seen examples, some of them good, some of them not, where the, the feds have come in and just absolutely overridden a state or a state's law or what a state wants to do. They've even nationalized their National Guard, which is actually the state police or the state army, if you would. Um, so we've seen the feds do that before. Is this a case for that or not? What do you think? I don't, I haven't heard anybody making a discussion in that regard, having a discussion in that regard, Bubba, but, uh, I don't think so. I don't think any of that's necessary. Uh, I think what it is, is that we need to have cooler heads. We need to have, uh, a clearly thought out plan. I think Pelosi needs to come out of her bunker in San Francisco and get back to Washington and we need to get back to work. Well, I don't mean necessarily military wise, but from a standpoint that the feds can override the states when everything is, when all the cards are played. Well, we've had situations where states were clearly in violation of the constitution. The civil rights era is a prime example of that. And the federal government had to step in. And I think appropriately so. I don't, I, I think, you know, Rick made the point, uh, I think it was Rick that made the point earlier about how power corrupts people. Yep. Well, it corrupts them at every level. I've yep. mm -hmm. seen county judges that, that thought they ruled the world. Yep. But uh, that's something that we all have to protect against. I think what you're seeing in Michigan with them, with the protests yesterday, with the honking of horns, I told a friend of mine, after seeing that, it, they, tonight it might be pitchfork, uh, pitchforks and torches. I don't know. Yeah, but but we're still a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and and um, I, I'm I'm hoping that 
the majority of Americans won't lose sight of that. And, and even more importantly, the people they elected to represent them will not lose sight of that. Do, do you think the Michigan governor overstepped her bounds? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the mayor in Mississippi that, that uh, shut down the church services on Easter overstepped his bounds. Uh, uh, the Virginia governor, he's, he's, he's turned into a dictator and said he's going to sign 1,200 different things during this. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of this. Uh, uh, they see us at a vulnerable place right now. And instead of coming together like we should as Americans to fight this as a common enemy, uh, they're trying to take advantage of it to advance their agenda. It's shameful. Well, and, and I think I told you this, if not, you know, and, and I think, and it really resonated with the viewers and listeners of this program is when Bubba and I made the point, if you are a politician and we saw this with the stimulus package and you're using this time when the American people are vulnerable, and you know they are. And so they need a stimulus package because their income's been cut off, their business has been shut down, and you withhold that money for them from them unless you get something you want. That's no different than looting. I mean, that's tax looting. Uh, it, it, you know how looters come in after a hurricane, after a storm, after some you know natural disaster, and they start stealing out of stores because the windows are broken. And the store owners now said, well, I wouldn't have been in this case if it hadn't been for the, the disaster. These politicians that are putting their pet projects in this, like the guys doing in Virginia on the state level, like the Democrats are, were doing to you guys on the federal level, it's tax looting is what it is. I called it uh, socialism by crisis. Uh, it, it's pillaging, and that's exactly what it is, Rick. I I hadn't thought of that metaphor of them breaking open uh, storefront windows and stealing things, but it's not far from that, and I know that'll hack off a lot of people that I say that, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what it is. We're trying to get another $250 and, and, uh, yeah. billion just for the payroll protection plan to help these businesses. And Pelosi's trying to hold us up, claiming that we need more money for the hospitals. Well, I got news for Pelosi. If she if she would check the numbers, there's still about $70 billion for the hospitals that they haven't spent yet. They're wanting more money for the cities. There's some issues there, too. But, but there's money that they haven't accessed for the cities yet. Uh, but, but we're out of money in the payroll protection plan. The and last of it went out last night. And and speaking for one of the waiting for. yeah one of the one of the businesses we know pretty well firsthand is still waiting on it too so we'd like to see that uh, that be fully funded if that's the plan let's fund it you know well if we're gonna have to put the country in this enormous debt let's do it in a way where there's at least some chance that there'll be a payoff in the end where this money will come back in and I and and a devastated economy will not help us get this debt down. We've got to get it back where businesses are operational, people can go back to work, and the revenues start coming back into to the state and local governments and the federal government. It's yeah, the only we, way we'll recover. Yeah, we thought it was going to be tough to shut the economy down. I think it's going to be even more challenging to crank it back up. And I know we're about out of time, Congressman, but I, I do want to say uh, I appreciate you coming on and answering these questions. They're not all easy. Uh, you, you know, because we don't know 
how all of this is going to come out, but you, you're, you're always good to talk with us and tell us your thoughts on a lot of this stuff. And I'll just say personally, and I know Rick agrees a thousand percent, we've known you for a long time, even before you were a congressman, you're a stand-up guy, and I appreciate what you're trying to do there. And, you know, God help you. You need all the help you can get up there. But uh, we, we appreciate it, and we're glad that we have someone of your character and class uh, that's in D.C. trying to make a difference for us. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I've told people that I had somebody ask me one time what I'd like to say after 10 years in Congress, and I said, well, I'm not sure what I'd like to say, but I know what I don't want to say. Right is I don't want to get up one morning and look in the mirror and see somebody I don't like. And I don't want to look in the mirror and say, well, Palmer, you just spent 10 years in Congress. If that's all I can say, then two years would have been enough. I, I want to be part of a Congress that hopefully one day people can look back on and say, you were the, you were the best we ever had. And I think the circumstances that we're in right now, if we can pull our country together out of this and, make this work, there's a chance that people will look back on us with pride one day. Yeah. And, and, and I think you hit on it as we get toward the end. So hearing you, you're saying, first of all, the economy starting back the state by state thing, because of the different uh, manufacturing positions, you said we, we can, we can start it back in places, but we can't really say state start back, but we certainly can go to different industries and say, you know, we're going to have, you guys need to start back. You got to start back. You guys can start back. And then the key is this testing that we have been working on. When this testing becomes more and more readily available, we'll know who is sick, we'll know who's not, we'll know who's had it, we'll know who's immune, and then we'll start that process. Obviously, New York City is a whole different whole different deal, even though it's getting better, but it's a different deal. Maybe maybe New York City can't come along as quickly as, as some of the, the rest of the country. But what you're saying, we really need to look at easing it out based on industry and based on type of business, not geographical states. Did I hear that correct? Yeah, and and one area that I think of particular importance is is the ag business. We've got all these uh, processors, you know, whether it's uh, poultry or, or beef or, or pork that you've got to deal with, and then you've got the folks who who can and freeze and do all that stuff to to put the products, make the bread, you know, the stuff that we depend on just just to eat, you know, the dairies. All of the, all that stuff is so interconnected. And then just your manufacturing side of things. Uh, we're a very complex economy. And, uh, and it's going to require, uh, um, it's not going to be a quick start. Uh, and talking with the guys uh, with automobile manufacturers, if you've ever been in one of those facilities, you see how automated it is, yet they employ a lot of people. Well, those machines, they're going to have to do maintenance. They're going to have to be uh, check the calibrations on them. And then because people have been off for five or six weeks, they'll have to go through some retraining. So this this start will not be a jump start. It's going to be a gradual lift off, almost like a plane taking off from, you know, you're going to run down the runway for a while before you actually get airborne. You know, we have a, a, a situation. we got five minutes left. We have a situation in our home state, and this guy runs a, a barbershop. And he says Friday, and of course, when everybody's hearing this, it's already happened. He's going to open his barber shop uh, and defy the governor's order because he said the 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 orders have been arbitrary. You you can't tell a bookstore that they're open, and a library they're open, and a and a you know a hardware store they're open, and a grocery store and they're open. 
and then tell me that I've got to sit here and go under completely. I will not survive this. I've looked at the numbers. I don't have the, – the loans haven't gotten to me. They may not ever get to me. Uh, and I'm doing this because what is essential is the income that my family needs, that my employees need, and I would rather pay the $500 fine and stay in business and let people make their own choices. Now he's going to move his chairs around, do the social distancing and all that. He says, I believe people have got to not only practice their civil liberties, but they've also got to take personal responsibility to protect those that are vulnerable. It's not the government's job to do that. Well, the worst place you can put an individual is to a point of desperation. Yeah. You don't want to get people to that point. And I think that all of us, uh, state and local government and federal government, need to understand that that there's just so much that the American people will tolerate. And um, and I think what this guy's doing is an example of someone who is desperate to save his business and then and, and really save his family. Yep. And uh, I think the folks in Montgomery need to take note of that. Uh, I, I uh, hope this does not end badly uh, um, for him or our state. But I think we need to be listening to guys like him. Yeah, well said. And because it, it's it's it, there's people, and and when we had him, when he talked, you know, I, you almost thought, you know, Bub, you know what I'm saying. I, I was like, did he really think this through? But by the time yeah. he was finished, he sounded yeah. like our founding fathers. Frankly, I mean, he yeah. he had thought the whole thing out from a right standpoint, from a responsibility standpoint, and uh, and I think the point he's making is going to re resonating, as you said, we see it in Michigan. You're going to see it in Illinois. Uh, I hope you'll see it in Virginia. I haven't seen it yet. Where the people, as you said, this is a government for the people and by the people, uh, and and the people are going to start saying, it, 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 we're, we're going to like this guy. He's showing you what we said to start this podcast. You guys are making decisions, and we as a country are making decisions that are lives versus lives, and don't let anybody paint it any other way. This guy's in as desperate a situation as anybody who's in ICU right now. And, you know, listening to, I, I heard him and, and listening to what he's said he's done to take precautions. He's basically willing to um, take responsibility for his own actions. And, and I guess anybody who makes an appointment is taking responsibility for their actions. But I, I really hope that uh, in the next day or two, that we come to a point where, where we can make some changes and have more flexibility and, and, um, and, start getting our lives back to normal yeah it, it's it's going to take and and i you know bub i think i i speak for you uh, if not correct me uh we certainly are not envious of the situation that the president's in that that all of you in congress are in but uh it is uh, the job that you guys have taken on and you certainly aren't surprised by the responsibility but i, I echo what you said earlier i hope when we get to the other side of this and when my grandkids, uh, God willing, are sitting on my knee, I can talk about how well our country responded from a government standpoint and from a citizen standpoint when we face down pandemic 2020. Yeah. Um, and like I said early on, uh, we should be back in Washington. Uh, we should be doing our job. And, you know, if there are members of Congress who have pre-existing conditions that really shouldn't be there. They don't have to be there. But the rest of us need to do what the rest of the country is trying to do, 
and that's do what's best for the whole country, get back to work, and, and, and get us back functioning the way we should. Congressman Gary Palmer, Alabama's 6th District, uh, thank you for being with us, uh, and uh, thanks for the, the things that you said, and we're all praying with you uh, and praying for you, and thanks to all of you who enjoy, enjoyed today's edition of Rick and Bubba University.